And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post <laughs> Podcast live from sunny Super Bowl hosting Los Angeles, <laughs> California. I am here for the NBA's Super Bowl, which sadly enough is the trade deadline week. It's more of the NBA's Super Bowl than the NBA Finals are. And to help us go through a story that she and Woj dropped this morning about the Ben Simmons, James Harden, nexus of pouting misery Ramona Shelburne, how are you? Good, how are you, Zach? That was an intro. That was a super intro. I'm very excited. I'm very excited for trade deadline week. Um, I don't mean to make light of the Ben Simmons, James Harden thing. Yeah. In fact, I think we're we, you and I are hopefully going to have an interesting conversation about mental mm-hmm. health coming up. But yeah. so, so the story you and Woj dropped was essentially um, Daryl Morey one month ago called Sean Marks, said, hey, what about James? And Sean Marks said, James Harden? No, we're, we're, not, we're not doing that. And, and that's all that's happened. So you want to zoom out and say, and then Steve Nash yesterday before the game, uh, the uh-huh. Nuggets, Nets, the latest of the Nets, eight straight losses that have dropped yes. them to seventh in the Eastern Conference. Seventh. Momo, they're three games out in the loss column of teams four and five. Like that's Now they're only one game back of Toronto, who's six. I think Toronto will be buyers at the trade deadline. Like the Nets are, it's like a toss-up if they're in the play-in tournament, depending on when KD and Kyrie come back, which is, like, insane. The math, the math, the projection sites have them as mm-hmm. less than 50-50 to get into the top six. Anyway, Steve Nash before the game says, James has said to us he wants to be here long-term. We're not trading him. You and Woj report in the story that James has said to the Nets that he's indicated to the Nets that he wants to be there long-term. So one takeaway one could have of your story is, much ado about nothing, nothing is going to happen. However, Ramona, there were some phrases that struck stuck out to me. Would you like to hear some of the phrases yeah. in your writing? Did you, did you highlight them? I have them in my notes here because I'm 44 going on 92, yeah. so I took handwritten notes. Um, the Nets have – you have a sentence with Woj about how James Harden's private grousing about the Nets in general has made it around the league. Well, that doesn't seem – that doesn't seem great, private grousing. Uh, you have another sense. You have another sense about how the Nets are trusting that his hamstring injury is a legitimate hindrance, which is a polite way of saying we don't think he's faking it. Like he, like he's checked out, like as as if he was uh, in the last week or so in Houston. And there's another thing in there about he's he's been playing, I think, dispirited, ambivalent basketball or something to that nature. Um, so here's my question. I read that and I say, and I've heard my own intel in all of this too, right? Here's my question to you. What is James Harden upset about? Yeah, that's, that's really the question, isn't it? Um, it seems looking in, and we'd have to ask him directly if he would ever be honest with, with anybody in a public way. Um, but from what, from what we all understand is this isn't what he signed up for, okay? The idea was you're going to go win a championship and be part of a three-headed monster super team. Um, and mostly what he's found is it's kind of still all on him all the time. And either Kevin's hurt or Kyrie's out because of the vaccination status is part-time player status. Uh, the team around them has not really, um, as we know, Joe Harris is still out, but I think there's this sense of this isn't what was promised. This isn't what I thought I was signing up for. And, you know, <laughs> that's kind of true. No, he, he's but, absolutely right. Um, yeah. Kyrie Irving has played what 12 games this season or 11 games or some yeah. trivial number of games. And he keeps talking as if I hope the universe changes. Uh, 
mm-hmm. so that I can, as if it's as if there's nothing he Kyrie Irving yeah. could do to become an, a, a regular participant for the Brooklyn Nets. Durant's hurt; he'll come back shortly after the All Star break. Uh-huh. And Joe Harris, you mentioned Joe Harris, a huge part of their team. Yeah, and so I've some of what I've so, so, one of the reasons why Harden is hard to parse is he had this thing last week where he said, you know. You, you, he said on one day, I'm not getting the same calls from the officials that I used to get. And then two days later, he's like, well, you can't touch anybody on defense without it being a mm-hmm. foul. It's like, okay, are both of those true? And, and with Harden, it's hard to figure out, does he does he really want does he want to play his way all the time, right? That was the mm-hmm. book on him pre-Brooklyn. He wants to play his way. Yeah. Houston built the entire world around him. All he wants is space and or a rim running center. That's it. So does he want to be – does he want to play his way? Does he want to be the guy? But now you're hearing this other stuff like, well – I'm the guy too much. I didn't sign up to be the guy like this. So I'm a little confused is all I'm saying. I'm not, I just, I don't, I don't know what he wants. So here's, I think the big overarching question. Okay. Everybody, everybody vents, right? Like we all have bad days or we have moments where we're upset about stuff and we vent privately to people. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to do anything about it. Okay. Most people just like to complain. Um, So the private grousing, which is a nice phrase. I think that was a good phrase. Um, grouse. Grouse is a grouse. Great, I, I don't use grouse really in conversation. It's a good word, grouse. It's just, sound, it's got the onomatopoeia. Yeah. It sounds like yeah. what it is. <laughs> so, um, you know, how much of that is, is just venting, grousing, whatever you want to call it. How much of that is actually going to do something about it? And um, most of the time in the NBA, just like in any walk of life, people complain to their two people around the league. But the thing that got my attention as a news reporter and somebody focused on the story was in the last you know few weeks or so, he and his manager, who has um, been his longtime manager, longtime friend, um, have done something which I think shows a bit more action, which is they have been calling around to agents around the league, getting advice, maybe looking to partner with some, some other agents um, in much the same way he did before he asked for a trade to Houston. And out you know, of this Houston. is out of Houston, out of Houston, I'm sorry, out of Houston um, in much the same way. So uh, fall of 2020, this is after the bubble before the start of that late season. You remember this is November. Um, James Harden hired a couple of agents from Wasserman, uh, Jason Rainey and Chafee Fields to represent him with the express directive. Like I, I need help doing a trade. <laughs> like he wanted out of Houston. And, you know, when you don't have an agent, like, you can ask the team, but it helps if you have an agent that's out there soliciting offers and trying to make things work that represents your interests as well. Um, and there was never an idea that they were going to represent him in, in whatever contract extension talks he has. Um, it, it was just, they're doing the trade. So this time around, he's going to be, a, he could be a free agent this summer if he, if he doesn't pick up his player option. Uh, and He's hired. He's he hasn't hired anybody yet, but he's been soliciting a number of different opinions um, from agents out there in the league. Now, you know, this is an interesting world. This is like superstars have agents usually. Um, but if they don't, that you can make an I, I see why a lot of players have gone away from agents because when you know, you're a superstar, you're gonna get the max deal. Including, so why but including, by the way, a the a high profile starting center and MVP candidate for the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah. I mean Joel Embiid, um, represented himself for his max contract with Philadelphia last summer. Um, and I, I understand it. Like if you are a max player and you're going to get max money and there's really not much of a negotiation to do, 
I can understand why a, a player of that caliber would say, well, I don't, I don't need to pay the 4%. I don't need to pay the commission. Sometimes you, uh, players negotiate their commissions down to, to 2% or 1% or a certain fee for doing a contract. Sometimes they just um, have the agent do their marketing. They have agencies work on their marketing, but not their contracts. So this is like a, a new world. I'm sure the agents out there don't like it <laughs> because this is their bread and butter. But um, James ha- hasn't had an agent for a while now. And I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, Jack, it's since Rob Palenka became GM of the Lakers, right? Um, so they, um, I think it's, uh, I think it's, this is the, the other reason you have an agent though, is to represent your interest, not just at contract time. And so this sort of a la carte representation is like, that's the, a profe- good way to put it. the professional bad guy, Dude, you, you, yeah. you have yeah. the unpleasant conversations you do the day to day. Cause I have a lot of other stuff going on, including playing basketball games. Yeah. Um, the why is just look. It hasn't been what he signed up for, and I and I keep coming back to mm-hmm. a lot of this. I think starts with Kyrie Irving's decision not to get vaccinated because that has really hamstrung. And look, he can do whatever yeah. he wants. He's doing whatever he wants. Fine, do yeah. do your thing. Um, he has his reasons, and that's his decision. It has affected the team, and it made them thin. And when you combine that with Durant and Joe Harris being injured, they're they're just suddenly thin. And James Harden, I have heard that he is frustrated with the lack of spacing on the team. Yep. And the reason they don't have spacing right now is because very often two or three of their best shooters slash only good shooters are out. And here's James Harding running, James Harden running a pick and roll with Nick Claxton, who theoretically is a sort of rim running lob catching center. That's perfect for James. But then Deandre Bembry's over in the corner and Bruce Brown or James Johnson is in the dunker spot or vice versa. And there's just nowhere for anybody to go. Mm-hmm. And it's not the ecosystem that James Harden thrives in, particularly if we're being honest, a, a James Harden who has been, I don't know, 85% of peak James yeah. Harden. I mean, there's clearly been a step back. The step back has been a, a semi-permanent this season. It shows signs of abating here and there for a game or two at a time, but it, it, it never sticks. And so I, I've heard he's a little frustrated about that. Um, the Durant Harden uh, synergy is interesting because I don't think they have like a great deal of two man chemistry, and I don't think as much as as the Nets had hoped. So I do think there are basketball issues here. But here's what I keep coming back to: this team, like you can tell me about the fit and this and that. The bottom line is when they're we've only seen them healthy sixteen games. I have last week said they are on the verge of being the greatest theoretical basketball team. <laughs> in world history, but when they all play together, they, they fit beautifully. There are no fit issues. There is enough for everybody to do. Everybody gets 25 points. They actually Mm -hmm. moved the, they moved the ball quite well. The the ball didn't stick really, despite the fact that they have three great one-on-one players. Mm -hmm. They screen, they cut Joe Harris at a lot lot of motion element to their team. Like if, if they just played, they fit beautifully, which is why this is my next question to you. Clearly, the subtext of your story is there's some ang- short-term anxiety within the Nets about did that two of whatever performance against Sacramento did did that indicate that we might be seeing like the one foot out the George James Harden that we saw at the end of the Houston tenure? Um, and if I'm the Nets, I'm I, and I'm having a staring contest with the Sixers. Mm-hmm. I, I would say to myself, well, he knew that Houston team was going nowhere. If Kevin comes back after the All-Star break, we have arguably the best player in the NBA back on our team. Kyrie Irving is going to play minimum half our games. Our team will start to look 
like it was kind of supposed to look plus or minus Joe Harris. We'll see. I, I've not heard a lot of optimism about that ankle. Um, and we're playing like we're, we're a good team. We're not going nowhere. We're, we might be seventh now, but we, we have real ambitions. I'm, if I'm Sean Marks, I'm saying, or Steve Nash, I'm saying, I'm hoping all of that, we get through this rough spot with James and we don't get checked out, James, we get checked in, James. Is that a fair yeah. assessment or whatever? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, the idea is, okay, are these conditions that are creating the, the disharmony or whatever you want to call it, are they temporary or are they permanent? Are the, can, can these things be changed with Kevin Durant coming back? And the answer, I think, fairly resoundingly is yes. I mean, Kevin Durant is that good. Kevin Durant does change that much and he should be back in a couple of weeks. Um, but I mean, Zach, you watch the nets all the time. I know you live out there and, and probably catch them on league pass more than, more than anybody. Uh, how good was Harden last year when he was really checked in when he was really, I mean, that guy was playing on this 50% of a hamstring. We wrote columns, actual yes. columns about, is it actually possible that James Harden in the same season, yes. will force a trade and win the MVP. Win MVP. That was yes. a conversation. I mean, he had to carry them for a lot of last year too. I mean, I was if he would not have gotten hurt towards the end, I I was considering putting him on the MVP ballot because that's how good he was last year. So when you and and he was playing hurt a lot of last year too, like he was fighting through that he hamstring was, injury. He was great in the Boston series in the first yeah. round, and then the first play of the game against the Bucks. You know that was it. Yeah, that was it. And so when you see the version of somebody where they're really committed, they're they're quote unquote checked in, if you want to say, if they're they're all in, maybe that's a better phrase. Um, it, it it really stands out in comparison to what you're seeing now. Okay, and I don't know if you saw that clip thread that went around on on Twitter. Somebody. Uh, I, I want to give credit, but I, I don't remember it off the top of my head. We'll see if I can find it. Um, Bad but, James uh, Harden, listless James Harden defense was the yeah, theme of the, was the theme of the clips. <laughs> yeah, that um, was the old when I used to say that James Harden w- played defense like he was in a coma. That was that was kind of um, that was that <laughs> James Harden. Yeah, yeah I'm going to find it for you because I want to make sure I give credit to the person who went through and very nicely. Um, uh, here it is from Eric Slater. Um, on Twitter. Yeah. It has a lot of retweets and all that. Eric, yeah. Eric Slater. Thank you for that. Um, it went all around NBA Twitter a little while ago. I think there's about 12 clips of just listless defense and sloppy turnovers. And then he's been out for a couple of games. They, Steve Nash made sure to say that he had an MRI and it showed some tightness in the hamstring. Okay. Um, but I think it's, it's, you know, fair enough. You don't want to mess with the hamstring if that's, if that's the case, but they're, they're trusting him at his word and it's three days to the deadline. Now I actually think if you're Brooklyn and you look at it from a large picture, are you really scared? He's going to leave in the off season. I mean, even if he's unhappy, even if whatever the teams that have cap space that can go sign him are not teams that are a threat. They're not, they're not really teams that can go sign him. I mean, you, do you think he's going to leave for Indiana, right? Do you think he's going to, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't see that. It would have it's, to be it's another San team. Antonio, Orlando, and Detroit that have cap space yeah. this, this coming summer. So, right? no. Um, no. And I've heard people have spitballed this theory to me around mm-hmm. the league that the the thing that should scare the Nets is if they start hearing intel that the Sixers are going to dump Tobias Harris into Oklahoma City's cap space. Because if you dump Tobias Harris – and you take mm-hmm. back an expiring or something, 
and you dump some other pieces and you end up trading Simmons somewhere else for very little money back, you do open up a cap slot that's basically big enough for Harden's right. max. And at that point, right. you're in, it's DEFCON 1 for the Nets if they see that happening. But we've just had this whole conversation about how yeah. the Sixers need to be operating under the concern of we can't quote-unquote waste this MVP-level season from Joel Embiid. Uh, what do you, what, what, and that's just doing nothing with Simmons. What does salary dumping Tobias Harris do? That's like yeah. even more. That lights the whole season. I mean, Tobias Harris has his flaws. If you salary dump him for sure. Derek Favors or something, you're hurting your team even more. So I'm not sure that's the case. But look, you report in your story, I, you and Woj cite sources saying, you know, the world knows that two very powerful people in Philadelphia, Daryl Morey and Michael Rubin, who's one of the governors of the team, want James Harden on mm-hmm. the team. That's out there. That's no one, right? So right right there, that's a threat. Or or believe he's in I think the exact phrase was he's believed that he's interested in Philadelphia. I mean, that's if you you know, Ooh. if you're the Sixers, if you're the Sixers and door number one is get some get whatever you can for Simmons now. Okay. Door number two is play it out and see what you can get for Simmons in the offseason. Um, door number three is play it out and see if you can convince Ben to come back this season. Um I Those are some interesting I choices. I don't think that's happening. Do you? Ben coming back now. I don't yeah. see it. I, 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 there's been speculation about what once the trade deadline passes. Everything yeah. I've heard is the door. The door is shut. Yeah, I, I've heard. <laughs> I mean, there are there are folks who say, um, well, he he won't say that yet because there's still a chance to be traded, right? Like you, you know. But I just having reported fairly deeply on that story and and Ben. I just don't see how he can come back and face not only the crowds there in Philly, but the team, the franchise. I don't think it's it's good for him. And I know we'll we'll save this discussion for later in the podcast. But but I think if you're if you're Philly and you have, you know, Harden is not the only guy they can target in the offseason, right? There's a lot more things that can happen before the draft, like after the season, but before the draft or around the draft. Well, that you may want to wait for. Tim Bontemps and Bobby Marks raised concerns about Harden's uh, on the pod last week, raised concerns about Harden's uh, Mm -hmm. aging, his next contract. I think all that's fair. Not very many people have asked the question of, are James Harden and Joel Embiid actually a good basketball fit? Uh, I I get Daryl Morey's whole approach to building teams, if you boil it down, was fit Schmidt, just get me star players, we'll figure it out. And and that has sometimes actually come back to hurt him because the chemistry issues sort of blow Mm -hmm. up a lot of their teams. Yep. But and look, Joel Embiid is maybe the MVP right now, depending on maybe, your taste yeah. in gigantic sure. centers. Um, and and <laughs> James Harden is still a top ten to twelve player in the NBA, so I think there would be some argument. Well, who, who fit whatever? But I I don't I like if Harden is if this is what Harden is now, which is eighty five percent of peak Harden or ninety percent of peak Harden. Mm-hmm. I do think they're a legitimate concern. We just have we already saw him clash with one center. Who wanted to post up? Now that center, Dwight Howard, was like not even in the same right. galaxy as a post up player as Joel Embiid. But Joel Embiid wants to post up. He doesn't roll yep. to the basket. He's not a rim runner. He likes to short roll and catch yep. at the foul line. He's not a switch guy on defense. And James Harden, that's all he wants to do on defense is yep. switch because it's the least least effort required. Like I, I don't. It's to me. It's it's a great fit just in terms of talent. I don't know how good of a basketball fit it is. I don't know. I it's I guess it's a good fit well, just because of talent. But if I gut everything, 
and and I don't think they'll have to gut everything to get this done if they ever get it done. I I just I do think it's fair to wonder like how is this actually going to work and is is Harden going to be content with with that setup? Or maybe the better question is is Embiid going to be content with that setup? I mean, this is Joel Embiid's team right now. They don't have Ben Simmons. There's no Joe and Ben. There's no discussion of whose team it is, and you know the process is kind of a long time ago now. Um, Joel is the process now. He's the last you know star standing from that, and you know I I think he's really come into his own as, and you can speak to this better than I can, but I think he's really come into his own as a creator and as a passer. He is. Um, He's just. The word I keep using for yeah. him is, ma- is majestic. He's just mm-hmm. a majestic basketball yeah. player. He's incredible on both ends of the floor. Yeah, and and I like I was watching somebody put together this awesome clip package of him doing the moves that we normally saw Kobe do. Some of those Kobe turnarounds, ballaways. Some of those are Dirk moves. Like, like he's seven feet tall, and and I think he's taller than seven feet. By the way, I mean everyone's really tall to me, but I'm pretty sure he's taller than seven feet. Um, and they just list him at seven, right? Um, to be able to do that with the footwork and the path, like he's in that prime of his career where physically and mentally, and maybe even maturity wise, he, the game is really slowed down for him. He's like in the matrix. Right. Um, and it's really fun to watch him and Jokic at nightly. Cause they're just, they're both like that. And, and in very different ways, but do you want to Jokic, Jokic puts up a 28, 12 and 12 yeah. on 10 of 15 shooting. And yeah. people are like, Oh, it's a pretty good game. Like, not bad. Yeah. Next. We'll see what he does tomorrow. Like, what? Wait, yeah. wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, but, like, Yoke is just fun. I mean, just the just the passes he makes are fun, too. Like, he's just, uh, like, you know, we can talk about Joel's foot game and mid-range, foot, foot, footwork and mid-range game. But, you know, to me, Yoke also is with the passing. Is we're, we're pretty blessed in this era, these two centers. Um, They're going to go 1-2 wanna... in MVP. They're going to go 1-2 in oh, yeah. MVP, and I don't even – I mean, Gian- Giannis, Giannis is maybe. there. Too. I think Giannis is not getting enough talk, so maybe 1-2-3 or something. Giannis, and let's three. see what happens with Durant when he comes back because I think he was right up there too. Um, but let uh, – Ja, Ja Morant, we have to oh, have that conversation I have, I as well. I'm sorry, Memphis fans. The guy is just – He's awesome, right? So those are – you know, we have a good five or six – we go five or six deep in MVP right now, but it's February. Um <sighs> I, do you want to mess with this finally really becoming the version of Joel Embiid Billy's been waiting for? And knock on wood, he's been healthy um, ever since. You know, getting COVID was actually, I mean, he was really sick with COVID. He was, that that really got him um, and knocked him down. But it gave his knee time to heal. Whereas knee that he, he kind of knocked knees with Valanciunas in the first game of the year. That took a while to come back from. Now he looks like a healthy Joel Embiid. And so you bring in an older superstar who really does need the ball. I think James really has proved he can be a great facilitator. Like he did that last year. You play alongside other high usage players. I'm not as concerned about the fit, but I, but in the short term, but long term, James is 32 and that's going to be 200. I forget the Bobby Marks numbers, but it's 230 something 240 something. It's a lot of money to invest in, 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 in let me be clear. uh, An early thirties to mid thirties player. Let me be clear. I think it's a good fit just because two top 12 players is a good fit by definition. I mean, Jokic and Embiid would be a good fit if you played them together. They would win a lot of basketball games despite the fact that they're both centers. That would be um, fun, though. Don't you got me thinking about that now? It would be a lot of fun. Um, I think they were on the same All Star team, or maybe I in a yeah. fake draft with Kevin Pelton. I may have designed my whole team around putting them on the same team. I can't <laughs> remember. Um, Ultimate Twin Towers, there. 
Yeah, and but you know, but I I think it's I do think you at least like in yeah. all this sort of Sixers euphoria over can we turn Simmons into Harden harder? Like it's worth asking the question: like, would Beal be a a, a better fit? Would Dame be a better fit? On the flip side, I've I've had a lot of front office people tell me, boy, Simmons in Brooklyn, that is a great fit. And I, yeah. I, I, I get it. I get it because KD and Kyrie take great offensive players. KD is a great all-around player, period. Going to take a lot of shots, great shooters. Simmons fills all the gaps, yep. plays defense, plays center on defense, switch everything, blah, blah. All of that is assuming Kyrie Irving's playing basketball games for my team. Which has yeah. not been the case in eighty percent of the games this season. Is he is he is he going to be on the team next year? He has a player option. So like, sure, Kyrie, KD, and Simmons is a theoretical great three man fit. Just mm-hmm. like Kyrie, KD, and Harden is a theoretical great three man fit. I if it's just like KD and Simmons and a bunch of other stuff, like maybe I can recoup yeah. some draft picks I traded for Harden. I, I so I think there's a lot to think about with this with this trade that has not happened and i don't know i mean let's boil it down like is this do you if you had to bet money do you think this happens before thursday uh if i had to bet money i would say no but what what what, what kind of odds am i getting because i'm not, I'm not get, getting i'm not getting right anything. like if, if i'm going straight up okay um no but if i'm saying um i'm actually kind of interested in the team there's a lot of teams as you know zach that are watching this very closely because there's a lot of lurkers right there's a lot to get in on here if um, let's say one team wants a player and the other one doesn't, right? Let's say there's a third team that really likes Ben Simmons, but doesn't, I don't know, like a third team, like a Boston Celtics, um, a third team like the Knicks, a third team that wants to just do something. Um, and I'm curious to see what happens with, with those types of scenarios. here. Cause I think straight up, I think they have a lot to resolve between the two teams. I, I think the gulf is pretty far. That, I mean, as a, we, that's a pretty, that's a polite way of, of, yeah. uh, of stating it. I think there's a lot of tension. I think there's yeah. a lot of bad feelings right now. Yeah. I think there's a lot of bad feelings and you got three days to deal with them. And those same bad feelings will be there in the off season. So the, so the deadline pressure with deadlines usually create opportunities in action. Um, the, does that do that here? I'm not sure. They've everybody, you know, I don't, I don't see James Harden, changing his stance publicly with, with the, you know, the nets. I think he's going to keep selling them. He wants to be there. Um, I don't think Simmons is going to change his stance saying I, I'll come back. If you don't trade, I, I don't see any of those things changing. These feel like when I was writing the Simmons story a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, or a week ago, whatever that was all the time loses meaning. I just had that U2 song stuck in my head. I'm like, everybody's just stuck in a moment. Like there's, I think there's too many obstacles and too wide a gulf right now to, um, to close in three days. But I, I would, I think there's a, a better chance of anything happening than I did two weeks ago, right? But, would you agree with that? Oh, for sure. It's murkier now than it's ever been, and yeah. and I think it's murky in the in the larger sense. Like I would also bet against the trade happening this week. I don't feel particularly confident about. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't bet money. Um, but I do think long term, beyond this season, James Harden's future in Brooklyn is murkier than it has been yeah. at, at any point. And, but again, and, I, if they all get healthy, I think this maybe resolves itself. Yeah. I don't know. And I think, and, and, and some of this, and this is what only those three guys will ever speak to. Okay. But remember Kevin and Kyrie were the original two who went to Brooklyn. That is the original friend bond. Okay. Kevin and James have a backstory from Oklahoma. Obviously they know each other from Olympic teams, et cetera. But, um, 
the original friendship bond that went to Brooklyn that was Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And my understanding is that bond is as strong as ever. And James Harden, so you're saying James Harden's the third wheel, like texting. He was, like, he hey, was we- the joiner, you know, okay. he was, I mean, do you ever have like, do you have a best friend and then there's somebody else who kind of joins your group and they're, they're fun, but like, they're not the OG, you know, they're not the, <laughs> the originals. Yeah, sure. I guess. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it. They won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts, 122 million for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So let's zoom out and talk about these two Uh players who are the principals of this. You know, look, if you care about things like history and legacy, and I realize that people now cringe when they hear the term legacy, I think this is an important moment for James Harden because I don't lump the Oklahoma City thing in with any of this. He made the right decision to leave Oklahoma City in as much as it was his decision. He became a completely different player and proved that he is one of the greatest players of all time in a way that he would not have gotten to be had he stayed with those two guys. And he had a a great deal of team success. Um, In Houston – helps run Dwight out of town. Now Dwight has run himself out of a lot of towns and then run back to those towns and then run out again on those towns. So there's like, like that's not just on yeah. James. Okay. Um, demanded or not demanded, but you know, was on board with the acquisition of Chris Paul won mm-hmm. 67 games and damn near toppled the warriors with Durant. Then got sick of Chris Paul, I guess like yelling at him sometimes to do yeah. some things he didn't love to do on a basketball yep. court. It's like, all right, Daryl, make one of the most catastrophic trades in recent NBA history and ruin our entire team to get Chris out of here and get Russ in here. They lose again. And he's like, well, this is not, I don't like this. And then Russ and him, they both leave. And now he's in Brooklyn. It's like, is he going to, is he going to do it again? And beyond that, beyond that, I wrote about this before the Lakers rocket series in the bubble in 2020 Mm -hmm. when James Harden and his team crapped the bed again, James Harden, you, and I did the whole deep dive. I rewatched games. Yep. I did everything. Like, there is not – he does not have a signature postseason moment or postseason series 
in his career yet. And I watched all the fourth quarters against the Warriors. On His best playoff games, a lot of his best playoff games are his teams down 3-0 or 3-1. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, the series is kind of over. A lot of his crunch time baskets, I went back and watched a lot of his crunch time last mm-hmm. three minutes of close games, last five minutes of close games. Uh, it, first of all, the numbers are ugly. The shooting numbers are ugly. And a lot of the makes are like, Rockets down eight, Warriors kind of concede a layup, you yeah. know, because they're just playing the foul game at that point, um, and they don't want to give up threes. Like, this, and in in a lot of ways, I think some of his best postseason moments were games six and seven against Milwaukee last season, when on one leg he gutted out major stretches. In game six, he carried yeah, he them really for did. a stretch when Durant rested. In game seven, I think he had twenty two points, got to the line a lot, but you know, at some point. At some point, it's got to come together, and he's got to have a moment where we, a series, a game where we look back and say, that's the crowning achievement of James Harden's career. And if this Brooklyn thing spirals, it's just another, like, wait, who's the common denominator in a lot of these situations that don't end well? And I realize that sounds like I'm hating on James Harden. I'm not. I voted him MVP at least once. Yeah. He's an incredible player. I've said for years he's an underrated passer. Before it was cool to say he was an underrated passer. It just is what it is. Yeah. Um, so why I don't know why I always go back to this Kobe Bryant story. Okay. But I think that's what we might be talking about here, which is Kobe Bryant. One of his conversations with Michael Jordan was kind of complaining about their team and we can't win here. And what should I do? And, and uh, Michael says, it, it really doesn't matter what any of the reasons why you can't win are, because when you look back on it, all people are going to say is you Kobe Bryant didn't win. You couldn't get it done. So whatever you have to do to make this team work, to get this done, whether it's say something to management, whether it's change your style of play, elevate your teams, whatever it is, it's on you. You're the great player. You're the Hall of Famer. You're the one whose legacy is going to be defined by these teams. And like we can go back to those. I've covered a lot of those hardened playoff series. He was out of gas. I mean, because all year long, he's playing a million minutes. He's carrying the team. All of it's on his shoulders. When he gets to the playoffs, they just throw the house at him. And, you know, in the playoffs, you know, you, def- you it, things change when you when you can do that. Um, but it doesn't matter. That's his legacy, right? This is what you're talking about now. You went back and did the deep dive. Um, they didn't win. So it just comes down to it. And I think James Harden will go down. I, I think he's a Hall of Famer, right? He's no doubt about it. Immediate. First ballot. No question. But there's a difference between being a Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer, first ballot, all-time great, and being in that next rung up, which is that you found a way to win when stuff got hard. And I think we haven't seen him pull those things out. Like, I think Giannis's legacy is forever going to be he stayed, he, he stuck with the franchise, he was loyal, and then he found a way to win when things got hard. Because um, that was hard, losing all those years in a row, right? I mean, it's there's a lot of failure before there's a success usually, especially for great players of that ilk. And so I think this, this does stick to James's legacy, right? Just like all of them stick to his legacy. You know, they, all the superstars you name that it just didn't work out. It's at some point, the idea of, I didn't have enough help. I didn't have enough, you know, they didn't do enough to surround me with a championship team. It, if, if it's been three different places and three different stars and three, it, it, it becomes, you're the common denominator and that's well, your legacy. Sometimes I wonder, you know, I think back to the season with the Rockets, I think back to a lot was the 16-17 season, which is the season between Dwight and Chris Paul, 
when okay. it was like Harden and Ryan Anderson and Capella and <laughs> yeah. Eric Gordon and they double. Yep. And Harden had an unbelievable season, 55 wins, and that's meltdown number one against yeah. San Antonio when he goes two of 11 and it left people yeah. wondering, like, did he play through a concussion? Like, what, yeah. what happened? Um, and, like, that's what life's like when you don't have a co-star. That, that is, mm-hmm. is, is yeah. what happens. Um, let's talk quickly about Simmons um, because you've talked to a lot of people who are close with Ben mm-hmm. um, and, and, and you're well tied there. Like, and you get into in your story that you wrote last week about the Simmons saga, you get into this notion of is he building up the the reaction to his theoretical comeback in Philadelphia? Is he building it up to be more than it actually would be in reality? Would it just be a couple of games of booze and then he plays well and, and you get over mm-hmm. it? And I, I do think and I know this is something that people around Ben are are, are saying, I, I do think in an era when we are supposed to be concerned with the mental health of, of everybody yep. and in, in the, 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 and Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan really shepherded yep. this discussion into the NBA, that there has been a tendency to sort of in the media in particular, to be dismissive of the idea yeah. that Ben Simmons has real mental hurdles to getting back to the NBA. What do you, what, how, how should we be talking about this? What is, what do we yeah. know about his state of mind? Uh, that's a, that's the right question to be asking. And it's the one I was asking myself the whole time I'm writing and reporting on this act. Cause I mean, clearly there are some mental hurdles to him getting back in there, getting back on a court anywhere, let alone Philly. Um, and I think some of the things that, you know, you mentioned DeMar DeRozan, Kevin Love, et cetera. I mean, I've, I've asked the question like, Hey, if, if you, you know, he's already said he's not mentally ready to play, you know, do you want to expound on that? And the answer I've always kind of got is he's not going to be the poster child for mental health. He's not going to do that. He's not going to put himself out there and this become his identity now. And so there's this sense. And I, I kind of get that, right? Like, I mean, I, you know, I think anybody who goes to therapy, like sometimes you tell people that you go sometimes and sometimes you open up a little bit and, and show some vulnerability, but it's really different to do that with like friends or families and coworkers or whatever, but then to do that to the whole world, and just spill your guts and bury your soul to the whole world and let them in on all the stuff you've been feeling. That's, that's a lot to ask, you know? And, and there's this idea, like, should he have to prove it? <laughs> right? Like it's, it's a hard ask. And so I, I feel like all I can do is try to write with sensitivity about it. And all I can do is try to acknowledge the way that he feels and the way the people around him feel. I mean, I, I hear words all the time, like it's a toxic environment. Um, you know, he felt like, I think that one of the big things that I didn't even realize at the time, but I, it's been stressed to me a lot now is, you know, he came back and for him reporting to training camp after sitting out was kind of a big deal for him to like, get on a plane, show up, face his teammates, you know, face the organization. Like I, I think after that game set game six and uh, against Atlanta was it six or seven. I don't know why I'm blanking on that right now. Seven. Um, seven, 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 like is, the, seven, seven is the, the pass, the, capital the pass. T, capital P, the pass, the, the pass, or we call it, or the not dunk. I don't know if, how do you want to phrase it? Um, it, you know, it's, I think most people assumed he would never play another game for the Sixers after that game. Right. That's what we felt like at the time. But of course, here we are for Ben. It was a big deal to get on the plane and report. And I think, you know, he, he went straight to the arena and took a COVID test and, 
yada, yada. And like, he still got fined for that game, which is of course the Sixers prerogative. Of course it is. I mean, he's failure to render services. Like you're not there. You did not report. You're not here ready for this game. Um, But I felt like it, it seems like that was a kind of a turning point for him in terms of, are you going to support me? And how much do you want me back? Like, how much do you want me? Is there, you know, you say you want me back, but are you going to throw your arms around me? And I I do feel like they did at one point, remember when um, you sort of talked to the team and then Tobias Harris came out and had some really nice things to say. Joel addressed the crowd and said, you know, this is our brother, Ben, we still need to support him. And Joel did that in front of the hostile Philly crowd on opening night. That that was a big deal. Um, But then shortly thereafter, there's the big, you know, argument with Doc at practice and he gets kicked out and it, it kind of goes off the rails again. Um, and I, I, I don't know, there's some part of the story that feels like Ben wants the Sixers to want him. He wants them to have a, a plan for him to come back and to really make him feel the love, et cetera. But why, if you're the Sixers and you, all you hear is he's never going to play for you again, then what's the point of doing that? Especially once they're into the season and trying and they're a game and a half out of first. Like they've it's, moved it's, on, they've compartmentalized it. I think the reason it's it's difficult, it's obviously difficult to talk yeah. about um, any mental health issue with anybody. Mm-hmm. But sure. I think I think the assumption that a lot of people have made, and I've been guilty of making it too, sure. is that when when Kevin Love or Demar Derozan or whoever talks about mental health issues, they're talking about stuff that predates and is not connected to basketball. Just just whether right. it's whether it's mm-hmm. whatever it is, right? And I think the assumption with with Ben Simmons is that whatever mental health hurdles he's facing are just about basketball and are to some degree self-created by his own limitations as a basketball player and his own now reaction to avoiding the Sixers fans. Like Mm -hmm. there's mental health issues and then there's sports mental health issues. And so it's part of the story. This is the assumption that I said that I'm saying that I'm I'm articulating my thoughts, which may be wrongheaded to be clear. Um, Part of sports is. Part of the story of sports is the player who chokes over and over again in big yeah. moments keep, keeps going and overcomes yeah. those demons. The player who misses a gazillion free yeah. throws doesn't run from the game but comes back and triumphs mm-hmm. over that kind of adversity. And well, and and so you know, if that's what's happening here, well, then that's just. There's that's yes, that's anxiety and stress. That's also just part of the story of sports Mm -hmm. at the highest level. And if the Sixers fans are going to boo you, you are somewhat complicit in their in their um, booing of you because of the fact that you have decided not to play for their basketball team for reasons X, Y and Z. I, I don't know if that assumption is really fair because I don't know Ben Simmons and you have written yeah. about like there's been some stuff in Ben Simmons family in the last yeah. year that has or the last couple yeah. years, whatever it is, that is tr- frankly traumatizing. And so I don't know if the, that's been the I think the, the reason why his mental health stuff has not been taken as seriously is I think that is partly that assumption. And I'm not actually the more I've talked around it and read about it and mm-hmm. interviewed people about it, I, I'm not quite sure that assumption is totally fair. Yeah, I, I'm not either. And and it's weird for me, too, Zach, because like there was a blind quote in my story. And I, I think it's exactly on the money, which is, you know, when somebody breaks their arm, you can see a cast on their arm. Right. Or you can take an MRI and see what's physically wrong with them. And then, you know, it's about going to do the training and all that. Mental health is different. Like you can't tell when somebody has there's no like test that you do right away. I mean, I'm sure there's diagnostics that, you know, psychiatrists and psychologists do and, and diagnosis that people get. But um it's 
there's a taboo in our society about sharing that like, you know, public, you know, if you sprain an ankle, we know immediately it's a grade two sprained ankle. If you have anxiety, we don't discuss that, right? We don't say is a grade two anxiety, grade, two, you know, whatever it is, um, depression, whatever, whatever the diagnosis is, we're just being theoretical about mental health here. But I think, um, it's a, it's a really tricky one. And, and I, like, as you say, a lot of this stuff is just what is what you deal with in sports. And we, and so many of the attributes that make you a great player in sports are how you respond to failure. Um, you know, it's been pointed out to me many times, like Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, they got booed by the Philly crowd. They got booed many times by the Philly crowd and they kept on playing. They kept on going. And then you get credit for playing through the booze. Um, that's, that's why I just kind of think this thing is too far gone for Ben to play there again. And he'll be, he'll be faced with the same kind of like at the end of the day, when you have trouble shooting, it becomes an issue and it follows you wherever you go. He's had trouble shooting since he was in high school he was not, he was an okay shooter in high school. Um, but he was mostly just a great, um, point guard and a great, great on the break. Um, and teams were designed around him and his skill set and his strengths. Same thing at LSU. I mean, I went back and I watched that documentary that was on him when he was at LSU. It was one, one and done um, by the late, great Maura Mant. Um, and uh, there's a scene of him where he's watching Skip Bayless like rip him on first take. And he's like watching that. And it was all because he 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 didn't take the last shot a couple of times. It was a, one of the big game, early first games he was playing. And, you know, he's supposed to be the number one pick and, and, there's a couple of shots. He, he could have forced the issue, right? He could have said, this is my, my game, my ball. And he passed it a couple of times. And it was like, you're supposed to be the number one pick. You should be taking this. I mean, this is that sort of fear of taking the last shot or fear of, the, of that skill has been there for a while. This isn't new. So wherever he goes next, whether when, whenever he's eventually traded, if, if he is, um, it's going to be there. You're going to have to get over it, right? You're going to have to do that. And how much of the quote-unquote get over it is mental health and how much of it is just your job as an athlete. And that's where that real line is. I mean, Zach, we, we, this is what we do for a living, but I don't know that we're qualified to write about mental health in that way. We can only go based on what people tell us and what, what they say publicly and privately. Right. Let's talk about, since you are one of the, the queen of Los Angeles, let's, <laughs> let's talk about another player who, if not, he, he was maybe not quite booed, but I, I think there were shrieks throughout there the arena booths. when he when yeah. he went to shoot. Um, what are the Lakers going to do with Russell Westbrook? What what's the end game here, Momo? Oh man! So what was the stat you just quoted me about the Nets? They've only played sixteen games together. That three? Yeah, thirteen and three. And that's uh, over two years. Something like I don't know. Time is that's a flat. It's circle amazing now. if it's over yeah. two years. I think you're right though. Um, the Lakers, the big three, the AD. LeBron and Russ, uh, when they played the last game, that was their 17th game of all three of them playing together. Um, they're okay. I think they're uh, 10 and seven now. Sounds right. 10 and seven. Um, their hope, this is the best case scenario, is that eventually the they play together more. They just kind of find ways of being, and it's okay. It's never a great fit. Um, but <laughs> it just it's been a worse fit than I think they – thought or we're hoping right i mean it's just been worse i would hope so because if they thought it was going to be like this then they made a huge mistake yeah i mean look the idea behind it was ad and lebron have had injuries the last couple years they needed a third star who could carry the team on nights when one or both are out 
we did see that. They've had a game in Charlotte that Russ almost won all by himself. I mean, he he can still do that. Um, it, and, you know, especially when one or both are out. But it, it just hasn't That was worked. one game. We're like 55 games into the season. I know. I know. Look, there's a lot that's gone wrong here. <laughs> like, that could be the sl- gone- I like that. That could be the slogan for the team, the 21-22 Lakers. There's a lot that's gone wrong here. Buy Where your season tickets. Buy your yeah. season tickets for 22-23. Yeah. I mean, look, I, you know, I, I watched the Sex and the City reboot they, every, at the end of every episode. And just like that. And then there's a big plot point. Um, my, wife so I think wants that- to, my wife wants me to watch. Can you clarify? Is it a, It's a movie, right? Like if no, it's I a limited if, series. No, it's, how it's many hours? Episodes. How many hours of my life am I gonna maybe? Have I think it's to too much for you. For? I think it's, it's too much for you. Oh, it's double like, digit, a double digit hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's ten episodes. I, I each I, one's I, about forty five minutes. It's too much. I think you're gonna have to sit that one out. Yeah, I think it's probably six seven hours of runtime. You know, much you know, though. See, you have to think of everything in terms of power and negotiation. So if yes. I if I saw, if I bec- if I'm if I watch that. And I'm an active participant in it. Like I'm, right. in, I'm, yeah. I'm having the conversations. Like I can't believe Miranda, Miranda's a character. I can't believe Miranda <laughs> did that. And like yeah. Kim Cattrall's not even in it. Yeah. And like the guy is not nice. Yeah. That guy. And like if I'm an active participant in it, does that mean I get to then force my wife to watch like yes. a heist show with me? Like some sort yes, of spy thriller heist thing. Do I get that? It does. Is it, yeah. In that case. I might be able to get emotionally invested in the uh, in the fifty something set, the fifty something sex lives of. Are they still in New York? I assume they're they're in New York because people I'll say you, Ramona. Give, pe- people you. say Ramona, the real star of the show is New York City. Uh, not in this one, but in the in the old series, it was. Yes, I agree with you. It's sex and the city. Okay, the city. Um, this one is not as much of an ode to New York as this as the old older show was. Um, I personally really liked the show. I watched it. I watched it with my mom though. I did not make my husband watch it. Um, (laughs) my mom comes over and helps me with the kiddo and, and, uh, and then we, 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 that's our like nightly girls activity when she comes over. So we just finished it. Uh, you know, I think it's mostly about aging and being, you know, transitioning in your, in your mid mid fifties and what life is like at that point. I think it's mostly about how are we talking about this? Okay. The whole point of me bringing that up was. At the end of each episode, when there's a big plot point, she says, and just like that, and then they'll have the scene. So to me, with the Lakers, every every episode is, um, there's a lot of things that have gone wrong here. Where do we begin? Uh, generally in my life, when I have problems, I like to, and they feel big to me, and they feel overwhelming. I take a, I take a notepad, I free write, um, I, I start making lists of things that I actually can control and take care of. Okay, so <laughs> you, you asked me, how do you fix the Lakers? Um, and the theme of every episode is, where do we begin? <laughs> right? So I would venture to say, where do you begin is at the defensive end. Frank Vogel is a very good defensive coach. I don't think they have great defensive players on the team, but they do have two guys in Anthony Davis and LeBron James who can be all NBA defenders. That's two out of five. But that's that's a start. Okay. I don't even I don't even want to talk about. We've all done the Lakers to death. I just I would like I just What do they do? Uh, because defensively they are what they are. I actually know. thought they, they they have the potential to be an okay defensive team. I just think like is the rust situation spiraling to, to and what do you do? So so it, here's I'm going to zoom out even further. Okay. When the big 3 I'll, get, I'll 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 let Russ still be a member of the big yeah. three. When the big three play without a center, 
So no yeah. DJ, no Dwight. The Lakers are plus seven per 100 possessions, plus 34 in 234 minutes. That's good. It's not great, but it's good. Yeah. And I've said from the beginning, like, that's the roadmap. That's how this team is going to win. That's the that's the apex yeah. version of this team. Now, and so that is still a reason for hope to me. Now, if Russ is struggling, like the idea that we're going to have this referendum every time Frank Vogel benches Russ in crunch time of a close game, he was one for 10 with five turnovers and the entire crowd was shrieking in horror like a movie villain was coming around the corner when he just wound up to shoot. Like that was such a non-controversial anodyne benching. You sh- He should have benched him and he did. I think I don't know what the solution is because, you know, you can sit here and say stagger him more with LeBron. Well, LeBron's yeah. going to play forty minutes a game in the playoffs. So when you're, what you're really saying is he has to play fewer minutes. Russ is averaging thirty five minutes a game. If he's going to play this kind of up and down basketball, there are going to be nights where that should be much mm-hmm. lower than thirty five. The problem is one of the many problems is if you're who are those minutes going to because the quintet. Of Taylor Horton Tucker, Kent Bazemore, Trevor Ariza, Kendrick Nunn, and Wayne Ellington have given Oof. you almost nothing due to health or underperformance. Yeah. Now, Reeves has given way more than expected, and Monk has yep. been a stud. Melo's given you more than expected. But it's not like you're overflowing no. with these wing options that you hoped. And maybe Ariza gets healthy and becomes more of an option or gets in more of a rhythm, rather. Um, so I just don't know what you could do, but I, I do know this. Like, it shouldn't be a controversy when Frank Vogel benches any player no. who's playing like that who's not LeBron and AD. Well, the first time he did it, it was because it was benching Russell Westbrook. I mean, that's a big deal. But the next time, at two or three or four or five, it won't be because, it, to be honest, he could have done it many times earlier. And I think it's just a sign of respect that he didn't do it sooner in the year. And also, he needed to sort of be empowered by the front office to make a move like that. You don't just make a move like that as a coach on a future Hall of Famer that they just went out and traded the, the whole team for. Same same, um, same with bringing him off the bench. Like, correct. I don't think that – and I wouldn't even do that because I would look no. at those numbers that I cited and say, okay, this is working well enough. That's a dramatic thing yeah. I don't even need to do. Yeah. But I need to be empowered to do what he did the other night, which is, you know what, you don't have it. Yeah. We all knew it was going to be a tricky fit with Braun because uh, you both need the ball yeah. all the time. Like, we're going to play somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I think they see him as, you know, be more of a creator, a facilitator. I've heard the phrase Draymond Green uttered. I don't know if I totally get that, but I, I, I understand the concept, which is I drive don't. kick. I don't, I know. because I Draymond know. Green is the greatest defensive player in the last 20 years of the NBA, or co-greatest I, I, I mean, with guess, Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett. Okay. So, no, I don't. I reject but, it, but I reject other, it out of hand, Ramona. On the other side, on the other side of the ball, offensively, you know, Draymond's a facilitator, right? He's 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 a non-shooting facilitator for the Warriors, but I don't don't know if I quite see that either. I love I love Kevin O'Connor of the Ringer, Mm -hmm. love him, and I've I've done it too. I've sat there and I've cited the number of ball screens Russell Westbrook has set this year, and if I I I, if Kevin O'Connor has another video, and I love you, Kevin where he talks about how great Russ could be as a cutter and a screener. I know. I am going to, on Kevin O'Connor's behalf, get him some counseling because he's running into the same wall over and over and over, and it's never going to happen. 
It's not going to happen. If it hasn't happened yet, it's I not know. going to happen. I'm sick of talking about the Lakers. I know. I, do, I don't sorry. want to talk about them anymore. You're the one who brought it up. What, okay, I know. So what no, I'm, pun- I, I'm out. Let's get I'm it. out. Let- <laughs> I'm out. I'm going to go talk to Tim Bontemps about some trade that actually happened. Uh, Ramona, you're talking I- to Tim Bontemps? All right. That, that's nice. Uh, he's a I'm nice just, I, he is a nice guy. You're, I'm, I'm, I'm totally just messing with Tim because you put it on Ramona, I haven't seen you in person. I don't think since the pandemic started. I'm going is that to true? See, I, I, maybe we were on. You know, no, we were on NBA Today once together. But I'm going to see you on. But the you trade. were virtual. Yeah, you were virtual. I'm going to see you on the trade deadline in person yeah, for our three-hour trade deadline special. I can't wait to see you. You work your work on the Simmons and Harden and stuff has just been outstanding and must read. Thanks. Thank you for making a little time for our silly podcast and tolerating my ridiculousness. And if you decide to watch Sex in the City. Let me know. I'll gab with you. We can we can go over all the all the girl stuff. You know, no, uh, it's no, it's not, not happening. I'll, I might watch it, but I'm not gonna. There's gonna be no extra gabbing. It's gonna be the exact amount of gabbing required to get me a heist show. That's the, and and no more gabbing than that. Momo, thank you. Thanks, Zach. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. It's demon time on Prize Picks, where you can now win up to 100 times your money. That's right, 100, 100 times, times your money. Times your money. With as little as four correct picks, you can turn $10 into $1,000. Demons and goblins are the newest and most exciting way to play at prize picks. Squares marked with red demons or green goblins get you different payouts. And as always, prize picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. They even offer injury insurance so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Just download the app today and use code LOW for a first deposit match up to $100. That's code LOW on the Prize Picks app for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. All right, we had a trade in the Eastern Conference, which makes me want to bring in our Eastern Conference guru, Tim Bontemps. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Zach. How are you? Happy trade deadline week. It's here. It's Thursday almost night. over. <laughs> Thursday night, baby. You know what that means. I'm on the road, though, so it's not in the fridge. There's no beer waiting in the yeah, fridge. You have, There's you a have beer. your lone beer waiting. There's a beer somewhere with my name on it, and it's going to taste really good on You've Thursday You've earned a beer night. after the past few weeks. I think, I'll tell you. Right? I'll tell you. The flight home. Flight home on Friday night <laughs> might be a little action on, <laughs> on that flight. You've um, earned it, I think. Might be You've a little action. Um, we had a trade. Uh, the uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers have acquired Karis Levert, yeah, from and a second round pick of some ilk from the Indiana Pacers for their first round pick this season. The Houston Rockets second round pick this season, which will be a very good pick, and I yep. think that's it. They also uh, got a. They also got a far in the future Utah second. Oh yeah, twenty twenty seven pick. Yeah, and Cleveland got a uh, Miami second this year, which will be a very late second. What do you think? It's a really interesting deal, Zach. Um, I'm not the biggest Karis LeVert fan in the world, so I think paying more for him than 
what the Clippers paid for Norm Powell. I know it got Portland out of the tax. I would rather have Norm Powell if I was the Cavs. So from that standpoint, I'm not sure I love it. But at the same time, you can make a pretty good argument that the weakest position group in the entire NBA is Cleveland's wing group this year. Given the fact that they're starting Larry Marketing at the three, they are they don't have a lot even behind him. Uh, and you've seen in these games recently, when Darius Garland is not on the court, in particular when he's missed these games with his back issue, Cleveland's offense has ground to an absolute halt. And for his flaws as a player, you know, Karis LeVert's not a great shooter, not a great defender. He is, as our guy Matt Williams tweeted the other day, top 10 in the league in points off drives in the NBA. Cavs are 29th in the league in points off drives. Basically, Darius Garland's the only guy on the team that can put the ball on the floor and score. So I do think Karis LeVert will help them a lot. I just wonder if this is the move that they should have made from a cost of draft pick standpoint. And potentially, you know, if you make a move like this, you think they're probably going to look to extend him, given they traded a couple pretty good picks for him. Is Karis LeVert the guy you want to, you know, be the fourth guy you re- really extend to make part of this core? I think that is an open question, too. But for a Cavs team that stunned everybody, you know, this makes them, I think, credibly better this year and gives them a chance to have a top four seed, which... You know, I don't think anybody would have expected before the year started, and they didn't give up any future assets either after this year. So it's, yeah, we, it's a really interesting deal. We talked about the Clippers-Blazers trade on NBA Today last week, so I don't want to belabor it here. I, I just I, – I, I didn't really get that trade so much for Portland. I, Me I felt neither. Like they gave away all the value, and unless you – maybe Keon, maybe they just love Keon Johnson. But anyway, um, it's an interesting comparison to this trade. You're right. Uh, I, I th- This year, it's a – Short term, it's a no-brainer for the Cavs. They needed right. someone else who can dribble and score. They got that player. Now, I, I'm like you. I don't love Karis Levert. I think he can sometimes play with some tunnel vision and miss passes or make the pass sort of one dribble too late. Yep. But when he's rolling, then, like, look, he had 40-something the other night. I was going like, to say, at 42 th- against the Bulls with G- basically a G League roster on the other yeah, night, th- nearly beat DeMar DeRozan and Nick Vucevic by himself. There, so there ain't score. a lot. That, that's... That's not to be sneezed at. The guy can score. He's averaging twenty a game. He'll help the Cavs. He'll, he has. They get. They need ambulatory guards. They need guards <laughs> yes. who can do anything. Yes, they do. Um, I do think you're right that the long term issue is more interesting. Um, he will be extension eligible. I know he and the Pacers had extension talks before the season. Yep. No agreement was reached, and and I do wonder like what's that going to cost? Like, if I'm am I going to have to pay Karis Levert twenty five million dollars a year? Because I don't Oof. love, I don't love. That. I don't like and, that at all. No, and not only, and not only that, if I'm paying Karis Levert whatever a million dollars a year, I don't think Colin Sexton is going to be on my team anymore. Like I got to get something for Colin Sexton, and Colin yep. Sexton is pretty good. I've said this before. He had the most disrespected twenty-four <laughs> point per game season in NBA history last year. It is on true efficient, on efficient shooting. It is true. Um, so long term, I think there are some issues. Uh, Short term, no brainer. Let me ask you this. Are we sure Karis LeVert is going to start for the Cavs? It's a good question. And, and, if, and if so, whose place is he taking? It is a good question. I think you should. I think he probably should start. I, I would say he probably should start in the Isaac Okoro spot, given just how poor of an offensive player he is. And basically, the Cavs have just leaned into the, we have Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, so we're going to make it work on defense automatically thing. So I would probably say they need to start him, but... I think you that know. is the most likely scenario before you continue. Right. I think that if I had, if you asked me based on almost no intel from their coaches at all or their front offs at all, right. I would just bet on a Coro comes off the bench. But it's interesting. It is. It is interesting. And like Larry Marketing probably should be starting at the three and you could have Isaac Coro out there to play defense. But 
I think part of the reason you get this, like you said, is you need to boost the offense and the defense has already been really good somehow with Lowry Markin and playing small forward, which I, I mean, back at the start of the season, I didn't think that had any chance of doing anything uh, in terms of being successful for the Cavs. So I, I think that he'll start for a coral, but look, if you told me that he is their sixth man, and comes off the bench and basically just, it, they make sure they have him or Darius Garland out there every second of the game, those two are healthy. And then, Karis LeVert closes games in their closing five. I mean, I could see that, but I would assume with the amount of capital they gave up, he'll be going into the starting lineup for somebody. Yeah, I think so. It is worth noting their starting five of Garland, Okoro, Markin, and Mobley Allen is plus 14 per one hundred possessions. It's been one of the best lineups in the NBA. Great. I, I do think given what they gave up, there's almost a, you know, we, we've got to start them and figure it out from there. Do you think Indiana got enough? I really like to trade for Indiana. Um, you know, they get Ricky Rubio back, who's a, a contract they could potentially move again this week. Um, if they yeah, want there, to try there to- is a there is a market for both the Rubio expiring and the uh, the Clippers could flip Robert Covington if they wanted to, but they may not want to if he keeps you know his first game was really successful for them. Yep. Um, we'll see. We'll, My, we'll see what happens. Toronto, there. Toronto's poking around with Goran Dragic too. Like you know, there's some there's some contracts that could move around, but. They could turn Rubio into something else potentially if they want to add a long-term piece. The the Pacers have a ton of cap space now this summer. We know Indiana's not necessarily a free agent destination. They like to try to trade for guys on deals, so they could do that. But to get, you know, two good second-round picks, you know, like Utah pick very far in the future, at least is, you know, has upside given where the Jazz are, to get a top, you know, 35 pick from in in that Rockets pick to get what should be somewhere around 20, early 20s probably. Uh, with the first round pick this year from the Cavs, assuming they don't fall off. Like that's to me a really good haul for a guy who's a 33% three point shooter. That's a questionable defender that, you know, like you said, if I'm paying him 25 a year, I'm really not happy. I would probably prefer him to be my sixth man. Um, so I thought it was a nice deal for him, but you know, I don't know what you thought, Zach, but from talking to people, it seemed like his value had really Karis value had really picked up over the past week or so. And there was, a lot of interest in him. And so I think the Cavs looked at this and said, you know, they decided this is a guy they wanted to get. He fits age-wise with their group, obviously has history with Jared Allen, and it was going to cost them, you know, a, a pretty decent price to get him. Yeah, I think it's a fair trade for both teams because I don't think either team should be psyched at at the outcome. I mean, Indiana, this was your sort of flagship jumping into the to James Harden trade and it was a big piece for the future and you got like you can spin it like we basically got two first round picks that Rockets pick is very close to a first round pick but you got like 23 and 32 like that's not it's not awesome it's not like great no. killer return but it's it's fine it's still and pretty if, good for it's still pretty good considering they got Karis LeVert in something I still don't understand like to, you mentioned that James Harden trade let's go back to that for one second the, the Nets and Rockets make this trade for James Harden and the Pacers end up with Karis LeVert for Victor Oladipo, who basically never played for Houston and was not very good. And the the Cavs end up with Jared Allen for just this late first round pick from the Bucs that I, I just I will never understand what Houston was doing. Not yep. just keeping Karis LeVert and Jared Allen. It never made sense to me from the beginning. They had to be able to get better value than those guys other than simply just saying we don't want any future money on our books at all. Which is yeah, the, evi- the evidence the evidence suggests Houston preferred another first round pick to Jared Allen, which is why the Nets were trying to go everywhere they could. Remember, they were trying to get one uh, first round pick for Landry Shamet, and they couldn't. and I couldn't I couldn't believe that they couldn't get a better f- first round pick than the the one that the Cavs gave up, which was from the Bucks, which is guaranteed to be 
a bottom five in the first round pick. I, I just thought Jared Allen at the time was really undervalued. And he, you know, Cleveland obviously made out like a bandit in that. I mean, to get him with that pick and to get Evan Mobley six months later, it's totally remade their franchise. We were like six months removed from Kenny Atkinson getting fired or do, or agreeing part, agreeing to part ways or whatever terminology <laughs> they use, in part because everyone with the Nets thought they – not everyone, but a certain cadre with the Nets wanted DeAndre Jordan – who can't start over get Allen, on the floor anymore to start over Jared <laughs> Allen. But yeah, Houston should have taken Jared Allen. Cleveland jumped in. A great piece of business by the Cavs, helped a, who now have both Levert and Allen, yeah. hilariously. Yeah. Um, helped a little bit in part that because there are not there's just not many teams that are clamoring to get centers. There's not a robot right. like Charlotte could have jumped in and oh my gotten, god somehow gotten Jared imagine, Allen. Imagine like if he was playing on that team, it'd, it'd be the same thing. It'd be a, it'd be a just massive difference maker for them, you know. But it's Cleveland's game. It's great. It's been a great series of moves for them. And I think if you're Cleveland, you're like, well, we're not that excited that we gave up these picks for this guy. We're going to have to pay a lot of money. But the picks aren't that bad. Like, we'll see how Karis fits. It's it's like – and and look, I mean, depending on how the seedings fall out, depending on what in the hell happens at the trade deadline and whatever the Nets become in right. two months. And by the way, the Rockets stand to win big time if the Nets sort of fall apart over the next few years. And sure we're do. a long way from that. But the Rockets are watching this then being like, oh, this is kind of fun for us because we got all your picks and all your swaps. They might even end up with a pick in the teens this year, which, I mean, look, even that would have been something they never would have guessed when they made uh, that trade. Like, is it? Is it crazy? To, like, it's it's not crazy to imagine a world where we're like, wait a second, are, they, are the Cavs in like game seven of the second round of the playoffs? Is, is that like a, is that, that like, that's not insane. Uh, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. Now, a couple things. First, I just pulled up our, our internal uh, numbers site to see where Cleveland currently sits. So right now the Cavs are the favorites to finish second in the East by our numbers. They have a 15% chance of finishing first. And they're, they got probably in, I'm trying to quickly, they got about a 75% chance by our numbers of being in the top four. So home court advantage in the first round for Cleveland, given they have been in the playoffs since the Bron left. Is it still the Q? The Q. It's called something else now. I don't remember. Deep in the Q. Deep in the rock. I'm going to be there in a couple weeks for All-Star. I will know what it means, what it's called then. I don't remember what it is. I think it's Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse or something like that. Uh, It's not the Q anymore. Um. So to your point about how the Cavs would fare in the playoffs, though, I sort of think I would pick them to lose to just about everybody in the first round. Well, you're just uh, a hater. That's all. You don't like Cleveland. You're like, you're, you know, I look, I it's an it's you and an Joe awesome, Kim Noah, me and Joe Kim. That was very funny. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the thing that Joe Kim did the video of him like re- rephrasing that uh, rant. Oh, he he re, he he went back and redid after. uh DeMar and Zach made the all-star team. He did a video and was basically like, I could see why people would go to Cleveland for vacation. Oh, you know, you totally, totally redid his rant about them from 2010. It was pretty far. 2011 was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, I just, I think the Cavs for like, for the reasons we talked about for why it made sense to get Levert. I do think that Cleveland in the playoffs is going to really struggle to score for as good as their defense is. And even if they play a team, like say the Celtics in the first round, like, they have no one to guard the Celtics wing players and they're going to have a hard time scoring on a team like Boston in the first round. So like, can I, I think- just say something nice about the Cleveland Cavaliers? No, can I, I- just say a nice thing. <laughs> I think, look, I think the Cavs have been a super fun story. I think they've had a great season. I think Evan Mobley's got a chance to be a all time player. Like 
he's had the biggest impact on winning as a rookie since Tim Duncan in the league. Like he's they're they're on a great trajectory. I just do wonder, you know, we'll like you said, we'll see what it looks like this week. We'll see who they play. Maybe they'll play Charlotte, who doesn't guard anybody, and they'll be able to score anyway. But I I just think their matchup for that first round series will be really critical, which again is why it's important if they have the number one seed or the number two seed and they get somebody coming out of the play-in tournament, you know, they've got a much better chance of advancing than if they're playing Milwaukee or Miami or oh, well, whoever Milwaukee, like Milwaukee that. And my, Milwaukee and Miami at full strength are like, whoa, boy. You right. Know? What I just mean, like if the Cavs were fight, like this is part of why that trade's important for them for this year, right? If they were fighting, if they're like, if they end up sixth or seventh or fifth, there's a much better chance of them getting a juggernaut in the first round than if they're playing, you know, some team come out of the plan, unless they play the, the Nets. Maybe the Nets will be in the plan. Who knows? I, I got to tell you, Tim, I'm, I'm, I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried. I'm getting a little giddy about full strength Miami. Like we get little brief windows into like, they almost never have their whole roster together. I'm getting a little excited. Uh, let's go rapid fire. A couple, just yes. a couple, a couple newsy things. You Can I make one ter- comment about your Miami point? Sure. Just real quick. They are favored to be the number one seed in the East in our projection system. I th- I thought they had a chance to be really dangerous in the playoffs if they were healthy, and they've been this good with guys in and out of the lineup all year. So I'm with you 100% on that. Love the Heat. Uh, don't really get the outrage that Tyler Hero didn't make the All-Star team, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> right. He's had a fantastic right. season. He's been great. Ra- rapid fire through a couple of newsy items. You mentioned the yep. Raptors, and I wanted to get into them. The Raptors are currently sixth in the East, one game ahead of the Brooklyn Nets. Um, and they are one of the the few sort of obvious buyers potentially at the trade deadline. They have all yep. their picks. They have Dragic's expiring contract. They are paper thin playing a 7.5 man rotation with Del- Delano Banton and Kem Birch combining to be the 0. .5 on some nights. They just need players. The focus of the rumors has been, well, they need a center. And I do think the Jakob Pertl noise is somewhat real. My question to you is this. It's easy to find players that are worth Dragic expire Dragic is expiring in two seconds or a second. Yep. It's not easy for me to find players who are worth Dragic ex- is expiring and their first. Is I there agree. such a player that you like or no? Like I'm not giving up that first for Terrence Ross or Gary Harris or even Eric Gordon. And I'll no. say this too. Let me add this. I, I I heard I can't remember what podcast I was listening to, but I heard someone say, "Well, this is a team that drafts so well." that for them to give up their first, that's really painful. And I agree with that, but there's also a flip side to that. This is a team that's drafted in the second round so well and hit the undrafted market so well that you could spin that the other way and say, well, who cares about the 20th pick in the draft? We'll get the same guy without even a draft pick. So I'm curious what they'll do. I just don't see Pirtle because of his contract. I can see, okay, that's worth our first. I don't know if they're going to get him just for that. There's also the fact that that he was drafted by them and is very tight with that whole core of guys still. And is mobile mobile enough to play the style Nick Nurse wants to play. Like It's very easy to say, well, this center, that center, plug Yusuf Nurkic in there. Yusuf Nurkic can't play defense like the Raptors play defense. It's crazy flying around, switching zones, triangle and twos, hexagons and seven. Like he can't play that way. So is, no, there, I don't is, think, there, is there another guy you like? I don't think, and I don't think Nick Nurse wants necessarily wants to get a center, right? I think he is very happy having this helter skelter wacko team that's pressing and flying around. And by the way, I watched the Raptors play the Bulls the other day. I don't know if you watched that game. Scotty Barnes put his shoulder in Nick Vucevic and sent him flying into the stanchion under the basket for a layup. I, another, I did. And another, it was, 
And it was a moment where I went, whoa. I did the same thing. Like whoa. watching that watching that guy play center, like it might be okay just playing him at center. And well, and around. I love the uh, I love we got to think of a nickname. The Raptors media, who's people smarter than me, need to come up with a nickname for the Chris Boucher, Precious Achua. We just come in off the bench and <laughs> up, and it's unclear if we're centers or power forwards or what the hell we're actually doing, right. but it works somehow. We need a nickname for that. They, I mean, all they do is just have all these. I mean, even the guys that don't play a ton, like Banton and Yuta Watanabe, all these guys are all six, eight, six, nine long. They just come in and fly around and do stuff. So, I, I mean, look, I think the Raptors, you know, they have Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi are one, two, three in minutes per game. I think Scotty Barnes is in the top 10. Fred, uh, Gary Trent is in the top 20. The coach is pretty clear to me saying, uh, I would like some other players that I like on my team to play. Uh, so I'm with you. I think maybe you split Dragic up into a couple players, maybe um, to add some depth. You know, like you said, maybe not giving up a first. I don't see Toronto necessarily going and getting, like you said, a guy like Eric Gordon. I would think they'd probably try to go on the younger side, guy that they could put in their developmental system. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily clear who it is that they go get. But I do think, you know, they see the sort of same opening that everybody else does. And, you know, they can add a, a depth piece or two to give that rotation a little more half. They are absolutely not a team I would want to be playing in the first round of the playoffs. Or again, like they're not a team I'd want to be playing in the play-in either. Like they're, they're going to be a tough out. I'm going to predict they trade Dragic in two seconds for something. Next topic, and then we'll go. Cool. Um, why, what is, can you explain to me the CJ McCollum New Orleans Pelicans rumors like New Orleans is five. New Orleans is uh, New Orleans is in 20. the playing spots, they're, boss. Yeah, they're, in they're, the playing they're spots. twenty and twenty since starting one and twelve. <laughs> Everyone's like, well, they've got to make the play and they've got to make the play. I'm like they're in the play in. Right. The teams behind them are the Spurs, whatever the Kings. Right. With a flying dumpster careening down the highway of life. <laughs> the Rockets trying to lose. The Thunder trying to lose. Why are we – the Blazers now sort of imploding their team. Yep. What is this fear? And by the way, Zion supposedly is coming back at some point to bolster the current Pelicans. Where is this fear that without C.J. McCollum, the Pelicans are going to fall out of the play? If the, Pel the Pelicans with one wing should be able to cinch a play-in spot. I mean, I, I think the answer is fairly clear. It's that people in New Orleans are, would like to remain employed, and the more games they win, the more likely it is they remain employed. I think that's the real reason behind it. I mean, look, I, I, I'm with you. I don't really, you know, CJ McCollum is a nice player. He's also making $70 million roughly the next couple of years and is a, you know, just probably a two guard that's not great on defense, right? Like, that's not. We, we just talked about Karis LeVert. Like, those players are good play Like He's a, obviously a clearly better player than Karis LeVert offensively, but I'm not sure that's the guy that I necessarily, if I'm the Pelicans, want to invest a ton of my resources in. So now, let's, let's do the trade. So let's sure. talk about the resources we're, we're, we're sending, be, in fairness. So I like I, just to make the math work, Josh Thomas Sadoransky and Josh Hart are in it, for sure. Josh Hart, Sadoransky, Garrett Temple, I'm probably going to have to throw in one of my first round picks. I've got extra Bucks picks. I've got extra Lakers picks. I've right. got, let's say, a first round pick. If you're the Pelicans, you can say, well, Saturansky's not playing. We have extra picks to play with. Temple's not really playing for us anymore. Hart's a big part of our team. CJ McCollum is better than Josh Hart. This yep. is the Pelican spin. Yep. One player for player, he's better, right? Yep. This is a borderline all star, whatever. Um, 
And he fills our biggest need, which is like other guys who can dribble and create offense. You know, Devontae Graham's kind of more of a spot-up guy at point guard. Yep. Jose Alvarado's been a nice spark for us off the bench. But, you know, is he is he really a guy we're riding with? Maybe. We just need more creation, more dribbling. Our point guard spot's kind of weak. Well, and he's also, to, to be fair, he's also a really good shooter. And yeah, if you get really- Zion back, he'll, you know, that's a guy who will take some pressure off of Zion inside, too. My note of caution would be Josh Hart has been awesome. My starting five of Graham, Hart, Herbert, Jones, Herbert. I'm going full <laughs> Herbert with Herbert. He's, he's Herbert very Jones. good. For fans B. that don't know, for fans who haven't watched the Pelicans much, watch watch the Pelicans and watch Herb Jones play defense. He's if fun somebody to watch. taps you on the shoulder and you can't say who they are, it's a 50% chance it's Herb, <laughs> Herbert Jones and one of his long arms. Those those three plus Brandon Ingram and Valanciunas is one of the best lineups in the NBA. Hart's a really good two-way player. When I get Zion back, if I get Zion back, my concern about creation off the dribble and stuff is, is kind of moot. I'm just not sure I'm giving up even one first-round pick in Josh Hart for C.J. McCollum, who is a really good player, but if he's not shooting well, he's not bringing me much on defense, playmaking, rebounding, free throws. Right. Like, I I get it. He's definitely an upgrade over all the minutes they're giving to the, the Grams and Alvarados and Trey Murphys and whatevers of the world. I just, like, I, I, for, I'm just not as exuberant about it as most people seem to be. No, I, I'm not either. I, I don't, you know, I think the – I thought the Blazers should have probably traded CJ McCollum a couple of years ago. I think this team sort of ran its course and I think they probably waited a little too long. Um, and yeah, like even if you're the, even if you're the Blazers, like Josh Hart is a nice player, but if you basically get back Josh Hart and a couple, you know, sort of expiring deals that I don't, I don't know if that's super enticing either. So they're, they're you know, not doing that unless they get a pick. Like just a great, they're getting yeah, a first round pick. You, you would have to think so. And obviously, you know, and, and, you know, there's been some Jeremy Grant buzz with them and we'll see, maybe they try to turn it into some bigger deal with that. But, um, That's yeah, true. I, you can't, you can't just assume that they're done with one thing. There could be a bigger puzzle piece, a bigger puzzle. No, and it, and it certainly seeing. felt like that move they made the other day was a, sort of a prelude to other stuff too. So we'll see what happens over the next few days. But yeah, if I'm, if I'm the Pelicans with these young guys, you know, Brandon Ingram and, and Zion Williamson, I don't like, again, like if you're cashing in a bunch, you know, at some of your chips to go get CJ McCollum, maybe the price just becomes low enough because of his salary that you can get him for less than you think he, you should. And you say, Hey, he's a good player. We can add him to our team. Maybe we can sneak into the playoffs this year if we get Zion back in the next six weeks, if he emerges and is able to play. Hopefully he is. Um, you know, that's, I guess, the the positive spin on it. It's not the move I would be making if I were them right now. I'd be trying to find some younger guy that's more in line with them, maybe like Lonzo Ball. Maybe they should have just kept Lonzo Ball. I do not understand. Right. I never understood that move from the beginning. So I don't know. On, on that note, uh, we will go because, frankly, news could break at any moment, and we've got to get this damn <laughs> podcast up. Tim Bontemps, I'm sure we'll be hearing from you across our uh, our airwaves in many different ways over the next 72 hours. Enjoy trade deadline week, and uh, thank you for a little time. Anytime, buddy. Talk to you soon. <clears throat> ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate.